Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. Why don't you come on in and we'll start some singing. Although it is fun to see that everyone is very distracted talking with each other. It is, it's fun to see people fellowship.
take a seat. We have announcements. I got too busy talking and forgot to set up beforehand. I don't talk a lot, but this time got all boogered up. You know, I'm fascinated this morning. I look out there in our auditorium. I like to call it the family room. We have a wealthy, wealthy bunch of people here at Liberty Lake. Every one of you guys bought 10 to 12 seats this morning. That was good. Good for you guys. That's good stuff. My name's Don. I'm just one of the dudes here in the family. And uh, got a few ideas for you going on. Monday night is a craftsman ministry where they build things and they like to inhale welding exhaust and uh, hot metals and uh, grind things down, all kinds of stuff. And the guys just absolutely love it. So if you're part of that, just a reminder, or if you want to tag along and see what those guys are doing, uh, it's Monday night at Jacob Tritt's house. Now here's, here's a good deal too. This is really, really good stuff. There is a youth bonfire night. You can't bring your teenagers to burn, but they're having a big, huge fire with hot dog schmores and yard games at Craig and Maggie Meredith's house. So send your kids. Get them out there. Um, let them blow the stink off them. They'll come home happier. You know, everything that goes on in and around that. So please, feel free to get your kids there. And uh, are you a part of that, David? David will be there. How cool is that? We need more adult supervision. David, David's going to be there. Hey, guys, I just got to tell you something. Yesterday, Alan challenged us in men's breakfast, and I just want to share this because it's so important as believers. James 1, I'm reading from the message. It says, right off the get-go, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open, and it shows its true colors. That doesn't always... It, doesn't kind of scares us, but as Alan brought out yesterday, but it's, it's, um, yeah. And of course, pastor's teaching us in Jeremiah, and I must remind us that what Jeremiah is doing in modern day language is saying, when the foo hits the fan, get jiggy with it. Just run to Papa and stay with God. And uh, Revelations 22 is a spoiler alert. We know how it ends. And it's going to be good, amazing, beyond our comprehension. So hang in there. Tyler, we've got an amazing young man that uh, is quite the quality Bible teacher. And uh, you want to come up and tell us what's going on. Hi there. So um, it's been a while since I've done this. Um, some of you may remember. I think there's new faces out there. Anyway, my name is Tyler. This is my family. Um, so I have a history of education, studying biblical languages, and that has given me a passion of teaching scripture and theology. Um, and you can tell I'm nervous because I'm talking really fast because I realized last night as I was going to bed that I hadn't thought about what I was going to say when I came up here this morning. 
So uh, it's going to be pretty brief. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of John. So um, previously I've taught more topical, uh, different uh, subjects of theology. This time we're just going to go through John. I don't know how far we're going to get through it. Uh, we're just going to uh, take it as it comes. Um, what we're going to be focusing on is how John uh, relates to the Old Testament. Uh, so we're going to be looking at some Old Testament, some New Testament, um, I will be delving into the Greek uh, to give you guys what I find there. So no knowledge of Greek is necessary. It's open to all. Please come and join us. Um, I'll be looking at the uh, spiritual truths and implications behind uh, Jesus's miracles. So this is when I read the New Testament and specifically when I read the Gospels, I read it with the knowledge or with the um, understanding that every time Jesus performs a physical miracle, there's a spiritual truth behind it. He never just performs a miracle to be showy, and he doesn't even perform the miracles for the purpose of physical healing. There's always a spiritual truth behind it. So those are some of the things we're going to be looking at. Um, it's going to be discussion-based. It's going to be open to all um, youth, adults. At this point, I don't know what room we're meeting in, but it'll be here starting not tomorrow, but next Monday at 6, 6 p.m. So if you have any questions, you can come catch me afterwards, but that's what we'll be doing. Thanks, Tyler. You know, the thing that excites me is we all go to church together here, and we rub shoulders, and we ask each other how we're doing, but we don't always know who's who. And we don't know what they're involved in on the side or involved with other ministries and what they're doing in the community. We have no idea. We really don't. I mean, it's really cool. So I encourage you as family members, take the time to ask people, what are you up to? You can get serious and ask them if they've ever been convicted of a felony. But, I mean, it fascinates me because, like, and I'm not trying to embarrass you, Joan, but Joan... Maybe I am. Joan is such a neat gal, and her heart is preparing meals for the homeless. And she goes around and picks up other gals, and it isn't just about preparing meals for the homeless. It's the fellowship that those ladies have to serve those people. In the name of Jesus Christ, they're feeding street people. And it's really neat. I hear good stuff because my bride's a part of that. And uh, I just like to hear her heart. Next, we have a chaplain, an officer of the uh, sheriff's department. She didn't bring her gun and she doesn't have a ticket book. So we're okay this morning. But Rochelle would like to share with you a few things that she's doing and involved in. She's been doing this for six years. I don't know how many of you folks knew that. Six years. Faithful, going out, dealing with death, abuse, domestic violence, all kinds of stuff. And yet she just serves the Lord. Rochelle? Thank you. Quick plug for Tyler. I had the privilege of attending one of his classes. He's great. He is the greatest teacher, so that's a plug for Tyler. <laughs> now, the reason I'm here is I want to plug the Living Legacy Ministry, which we have 
lovingly dubbed LLM effort, shall we say? We like our initials, don't we? LLM. Both rolls off the tongue. But anyway, just to give you a little bit of history, the elders have agreed to partner with the chaplaincy, opening up the facility to the chaplains to allow them to perform memorial services here. Many times when the chaplains go out on scene, there's a death involved. The family makes a request to have a memorial service at a church, but they are not affiliated with any specific church. Now, the chaplains can offer this facility for a memorial service. So, yes, praise God, we have a great bunch of elders. But now, I'll tell you, now this is personal opinion. The reason why the, the uh, elders said yes to this, over and above the Holy Spirit was driving them, but because of you, you. This congregation has a heart, a servant's heart for ministry. So because of you, they were able to say, yes, we can do this. Now, here's the real news. Saturday, June 5th, we will, we will be having our first opportunity to serve. We will be honoring the death of a deputy to the to oh, excuse me. So the honor guard will be presenting the flag, and there may be as many as a hundred people attending. This is going to be huge, and this is our first effort. June twelfth will be another service honoring the death of a son, which will be very a very small service by comparison. Only the immediate family will be attending. So you can see the difference in the spectrums that we will be dealing with here at the church. Ann Godfordson, can I ask you to stand up, Ann, so everybody knows who you are? <laughs> this is Ann. She has graciously, and I, I underline that word, bolded, capitalized, graciously volunteered to be the coordinator of LLM. We will be needing volunteers for the sound system, food preparation, setup, centerpieces, moving of uh, memorabilia from the foyer up to the Family Life Center after the service, and the list goes on, as you can see. We need these people. Anyway, it is going to take a lot of servants' hearts. So Anne will be in the foyer after church to answer any questions and sign you up. Final note, this is an undercover operation. Our true mission is to offer the love of Jesus Christ to someone that will be sitting where you are now. Thank you. You want to stand with us.
thank you that we can just leave behind our regrets, leave behind mistakes, and come to you as you would call. Thank you for that. Amen. Kids are dismissed. Good morning. You know what I find very interesting about life, uh, we saw this at the conference uh, this last weekend, is that almost everybody came in and sat in exactly the same spots for the conference. And they weren't regulars at our church, but they actually sat in almost the exact same spots. Um, So it must be a church thing, right? You guys agree with me? All right. So do you guys like doing normal or do you like doing odd? Oh, scared you all. I'm not going to ask you to move this week, but next week, sit somewhere that you don't normally sit and see who you meet. You might actually meet somebody new in the church. So it's kind of a funny thing. Uh, up in Enius Valley, we actually had a moment where, um, where we had uh, a regular attender came in and moved a, a visitor. for uh, Like their very first Sunday, they sat in their seat, and they didn't realize that they sat in their seat. Now, please understand, we had 35 chairs in this space and they actually asked them to move, and uh, which, of course, they didn't come back the next Sunday. And so I commissioned our elders to go and make sure that we sat in those saved spaces uh, so that they couldn't use their same seats regularly. Isn't that ornery? That's just ornery. But we should look at our behavior, right? We should look at our lives. We should look at the patterns that we've set and evaluate them. Are they honoring to God? Is, is this important to us? What is the pattern? Uh, what are we doing? Um, I actually titled the sermon, which I always title the sermon, but it's normally because Julie's asking for a title. Just I'm just being honest with you guys, because as I'm preparing the text, I'm in the text, I'm really not thinking about titles. Um, but this week, as I was reading through chapters 11 and 12 of Jeremiah, this, this thought popped into my head instantaneously, uh, and it was this title, Trouble in Paradise. Uh, and and you're, when you hopefully as we go through this, you'll see it and be like, oh, okay, I see where I see where you're going. But think about the Jews, right? Uh, they were they were in the land of um, that was flowing with milk and honey. That was the promise uh, when they came out of Egypt. The promise uh, to Abraham was that he was going to give his children this wonderful place. This land was going to be theirs to possess uh, as long as they followed and and followed the directions of the Lord and lived in obedience to that. And so we have this, this picture of, of what's happening in this time, um, and, and it's trouble in paradise, not only for the Jews, because there's difficulties coming for them, but also for, Josh, or for Jeremiah. And we're going to watch how God uh, deals with him and deals with us. And my hope is that uh, as you and I wrestle with this, and uh, just I'll tell you this up ahead of time because you may notice this as we go through. This is part one of uh, at least a two-part section. I was hoping to do it all in one spot, and um, it just, I can't. So there's some just stuff we got to look at in, in a couple, over a couple weeks here. So uh, turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 11. Uh, we're going to start there. But I want you to wrestle with in your own mind a scenario in your life that you had envisioned as being grand, and it turned out to be less so. Do you have that in your mind? 
I'm gonna share, I've been sharing with you guys, you know how I kind of share all those things. And um, Sal and I bought a new house, and we had this, this vision of what it was going to look like with a beautiful green yard out front and, and all of the things that were going to happen there. Um, and as I've shared with you recently, that I've been working on my own attitude with how not beautiful our front yard is, right? We had our open house, and we were very grateful because they came in and they fixed part of it, but they left another part undone. So when you walked into our house, you could see almost nice, and then trash, uh, and it was awesome. And you can see I still have a great attitude about this. Um, but when in our lives, in our, in our scenarios, our expectations of, of life, our expectations of how God shows up and deals with us, uh, I think oftentimes what we picture in our minds and what God does in reality are, are often different. And sometimes way different, right? Um, marriage is a great example of that. Uh, when we first get married, there's wonderful expectations. Um, not long after that, you realize everybody has body odor. Where was that when you were dating? Well, I was hiding it because I wanted her to like me. Um, we actually have a joke in our family where at one point we actually told our boys, no, it's now time for you to worry about what girls think. We're at the age where we want them to take you. Um, there, that does change. I'm, I was surprised in my own family when that changed. But so often when we think about life, when we think about being a disciple of Christ, I think we have a picture of this wonderful, uh, amazing thing. And Do you remember in Jeremiah where we started out with Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1? What did he tell Jeremiah he was going to do for him? He said that he was going to protect him. He was going to make him like a fortified city. He was, he was going to make him like a bronze wall, so, and, and he was going to protect him, uh, which sounds great, right? Yeah. I mean, I would love to know that God was protecting me and that I was, I was going to be safe and pe- you know, harm would not come to me. Well, uh, we're going to begin to see that that was not exactly what God had promised Jeremiah at least that may be a little bit more of his and my interpretation of, of how you would view ministry. And I think um, even Jeremiah may have been there as well. So let's start this morning in, in Jeremiah chapter 11. And my hope, again, is that you will in, enjoy with me the process of conviction in our own hearts, um, but also watching the amazing movement of God in the lives of people. Jeremiah chapter 11, we're going to just read this morning uh, verses 9 through 13 as our starting passage where we're going to begin and launch. That's been one of the challenges for me is that normally we focus on a passage and we spend our whole time in there, and with Jeremiah we're taking bigger chunks, right? So um, this is going to be our start point, and we're going to end um, a little bit farther down the line in Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah eleven nine. again, the Lord said to me, a conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant I have made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape it. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the, uh, to the gods to whom they make offerings. But they cannot save them in the time of their trouble. For your gods have become as many as your cities, O Judah, 
And as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to shame, altars to make offerings to Baal. Part of, one of the first things that we, we're going to look at this week in Jeremiah is that they broke the covenant. The, the Jews have broken the covenant of God. They've repeatedly broken this covenant, right? Uh, in fact, we're going to look at uh, in the text um, later on in the sermon where God actually says, I've actually exercised restraint with you because from the very beginning you've been breaking the covenant. And so I've, I've intentionally offered you grace, and I've continually to, continued to do this throughout my whole relationship with you as you have been a stubborn people. You know, when I think about my uh, personality and how difficult it is for me um, to, to do what I'm told, and, and not, not in the... Okay, yeah, it is. It's actually that bad. Like, I just, I just struggle with doing what I'm told. I like to make my own decisions, and I really like to be in control of my life. I like to be in charge. Um, anybody else like to be in charge of your life? Thank you. A few of us, right? We, we really do. It's really hard to do what we're told. In fact, as a young man, if somebody told me not to do something or I couldn't do something, what do you do? Right. We actually have that, like, it's, the, it's a natural response to us in our culture that if we have that discussion, our automatic response to that is, we went and did it. Why? You know what my mom used to tell me? If your friends were to jump off a bridge, would you follow them? Anybody else hear that? Yeah? Well, no, because I'm kind of afraid of heights and I don't like hitting the water. But if they were to drive way too fast down this road and go and do something else stupid, I was right there with them. Her illustration didn't work very well for me, but the point was made. My tendency, my heart, was, is to not do what I'm told. And, and what's interesting about Judah and Israel is they're constantly living in this fleshly response to God, and their, their natural response, their, their constant rebellion to Him, is exposed over and over in their relationship with the Lord. And He continues to do that, and He continues to express that. And, and the challenge is we see it even in the New Testament. We see it come out in the church uh, and, and in the reactions of, of the, the people to the Word of God. Look in uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 54. You're going to love this. Uh, well, to me, I read this and I'm like, oh my goodness, they're throwing a temper tantrum. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. This is the stoning of Stephen. It's the first disciple that, that actually is stoned. Um, and there's, there's a couple of really quick, uh, just neat nuggets in here that I miss uh, when I've read over this before, and it really grabbed me this week, and I want to share them with you now. Uh, chapter uh, 7, verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. Uh, this is Stephen giving them his message. Um, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped, stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I kind of missed that he fell asleep part. 
in the other reading, you know, you think of Stephen being stoned and that they killed him. Somehow in this process, Stephen falls asleep while they're throwing stones at him. And in, in, in his relationship, with, that to me is, is a spectacular moment. But did you see the behavior of the people? Can you see it? Ah! They're charging him. They're stopping up their ears. They don't want to hear the words anymore. They're so intent on not hearing these words uh, and, and the word of God. And, and oftentimes, I think of that as a temper tantrum that I'm not above. We're not above. As a church, look at Hebrews chapter 5. When we think about hearing the words of the Lord and what God's called us to in our own relationship, Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. And the writer says this, and this, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. The basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The writer of Hebrews is identifying that in the church at this time that there's a lack of maturity, there's a lack of spiritual growth that's happening in the church and that they're dependent on the milk, that they haven't progressed or matured past the teaching process where they were left. And he's saying to them that this process of growth, it's expected for the disciples to grow. It's expected for those people that are following God to grow in their understanding of his word, to grow in their practice and exercise of his word, even to the point where he says that the power of discernment is trained by constant practice to discern good from evil. When it comes to hearing the word of the Lord and, and, and listening to the things that he says, do we constantly train and practice? Do we put ourselves toward it like we're training for some other event? I um, had the privilege of putting in a sprinkler system this weekend at my house, and several men from this church came and helped, and I haven't been able to thank them in person yet, mostly because it hurts to lift this arm and shake, because I'm not used to doing this anymore. I don't work like that. I got up this morning and I went and did something and realized I have a bruise on the front of my finger from kneeling down on rocks because my yard's so, it's so plush and soft. There's rocks everywhere. Now, I went and did that for a long, we did that, I mean, we started at like 8, 39 o'clock in the morning. We went till 5, nonstop. We had a short break. Why did it work like that? I put in a lot of effort, a lot of focus, a lot of, a lot of intentionality in that moment because I had something I wanted to get done. Man, do I do that with the Word of God? Am I that focused in my relationship with the Lord? That's part of what I'm, as I'm wrestling with, looking at Judah and looking at how they respond to God and how quickly they run after other gods. And that's, that's the other part that he says in the, in the broken covenant part is that you've gone after other gods. You consistently go after other gods. Uh, look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter uh, 20, we actually see Ezekiel specifically referencing this as well about the nation of Judah and Israel. 
Ezekiel 20, starting in verse 15. It says this, Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands, because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths. For their hearts went after their idols. Nevertheless, my eyes spared them, and I did not destroy them or make a full end of them in the wilderness. That's the first generation in the wilderness. And I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your father, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between me and you, and that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules, by which, if a person does them, he shall live. They profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries, because they had not obeyed my rules, but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were set on their father's idols. Moreover, I gave them to statutes that were not good and rules by which they could not have life, and I defiled them through their very gifts in their, offerings, uh, in their offering up all their firstborn, that I might devastate them. I did it that they might know that I am the Lord. Here the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel, it goes all the way back to when they first came out of Egypt in the wilderness, the very first generation is, he says, this has been your problem the whole time. You constantly behave like this. And I've been gracious in these, in all of these things. And I'm even bringing my discipline, my destruction that is coming on you is actually for a purpose. It's not just because he's exercising wrath or just, just disciplining them. He says in this, it's so that they might know that I am the Lord. But here we have, so Israel's broken the covenant. They've gone after other gods. They're in this spot, and in Jeremiah's testimony, disaster is coming. This is what Jeremiah is telling the nation. There, is con- there are consequences, and there will be a disaster. There will be destruction that comes upon the nation of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 11, we're going to pick up a couple more verses there. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 14 through 17. Disaster is coming. Jeremiah is prophesying this. And this is what the Lord says to Jeremiah. Starting 11, verse 14. It says, Therefore do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or, or, or prayer on their behalf, for I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their trouble. What right has my beloved in my house? When she has done many vile deeds, can even sacrificial flesh avert your doom? Can you then exult? The Lord once called you a green olive tree because with good, uh, beautiful with good fruit. But with the roar of a great tempest, he will set fire to it and its branches will be consumed. The Lord of hosts who planted you has decreed disaster against you because of the evil that the house of Israel and the house of Judah have done, provoking me to anger. By, offering, by making offerings to Baal. 
He actually tells Jeremiah, don't pray for them because I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to respond to their cries for help in their times of trouble. Would that be terrifying for us as believers to be at a spot where, where you actually have uh, God say, don't, don't come to me for help. Not going to be available. That would be terrifying. We should think about the reality of that. What, what I love about the text, there's a couple of things that are happening. We won't be able to unpack all of them in that verse. It's part of why we're doing some next week. But we can't miss the fact that he's got a fire coming to actually consume the, the, the dead olive branch, right? The dead olive tree. We're going to look at some of that next week uh, because I think it ties into the vine and the branches and it's going to tie into uh, p- part of the picture that we're going to see here um, at the end of 11 in Jeremiah's response to his life and to what's happening around him. But the idea that God would not respond to a believer's prayer is not just an Old Testament value. I want to share with you one in the New Testament that should cause us to really humbly approach the Lord and consider our own lives. Now, I'm going to read a, I'm going to read a passage, and ladies, don't freak out, because um, Paul or Peter is not, not describing value here. He's just stating a physical fact, uh, and so this is about... This is about how God's design in marriage is supposed to work, and it's a beautiful thing when we do when we follow His design. But First Peter chapter three, in verse seven, says this: Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You see that. He literally says to husbands that we should not, we should not use our physical strength to, to, to treat our wives to be, to be bullies or brash or harsh with them or, or anything like that. We should treat them, we should honor them as heirs to the throne, as, as equal heirs to the throne of God, to the grace of God, and we should treat them like He's called us to treat them. You know, I, I had this cool opportunity. I was in, had to go to the Rathrum uh, hardware store yesterday twice because I bought the wrong part the first time. Isn't that awesome? Don't you love that? You just like praise Jesus. So I got, I'm in, and I'm. It was for my sprinkler system. It was absolutely for the sprinkler system. And uh, I'm up at the counter, and I was uh, the gal was asking for our rewards number. You guys, you love that. You're never sure what phone number it is, and so I'm trying to. I can't. Re- I couldn't remember my bride's number because it's Sally. It's on my phone's right there. I don't have to have 10 digits. I got one spot. So I'm looking up my bride's number, and I'm like, yeah, sorry. Yeah, you know, I just don't use my bride's number. And she goes, oh, are you getting married? And I, I said, well, I've been married for 27 years. And she was just like, oh, that is so sweet. And so I began to do what Don Anderson has always challenged me to do, and I, I call my bride my bride to remind me of the gift that she is from the Lord. That's the whole point. She's my bride, and she's a gift, and God's given her to me as a gift, and I'm responsible to treat her as the precious gem that she is before God. And so I got to talk with this gal behind the counter about this, the God's plan for the design in marriage and how God has a design for all this stuff, and it's amazing when we do it well. And she recounted to me the story of her parents who celebrated 50 years of marriage and how wonderful it was. I'm assuming that she was not experiencing the same thing because we never talked about her marriage life. 
But man, was that amazing to her. And what's really startling in this, guys, did you know that your prayers would be hindered if you don't treat your bride right? We should take that seriously, especially when we're frustrated and life's not going the way we want it to. We could be in like a foreign land with a bunch of people raiding everywhere and gods everywhere that we want to worship and, and we don't want to follow the Lord, just like Judah and Israel. Or we could be in our homes and, and have our new homes and our sprinkler systems not going in and, and our kids not behaving the way we want them to and, and our cars working great. And people all around us treating us the way that we believe we should be treated, right? Those are, that's where we're at most of our lives, so why would we ever be in conflict with our brides the morning before an open house? Why would you do that? That would be ridiculous. It's super important that we recognize how God's plan works, how he designed this whole system, and how God responds to his people. We don't really like this part about God, I don't think. The reality that there is consequences, the reality that there is judgment that comes from God when our sin is unrepentant and, and, and we're, especially um, when we're constantly pursuing it. I love what he says in that, in that passage of verses. He reminds us that sacrifice... He actually says, will, the, will, the, will sacrificial flesh take care of this issue? Can a sacrifice solve this problem? Look at, uh, look at Genesis. I've, just got, I've got two passages you've got to see because it's an amazing truth that you actually see in, the, in, in what God does that uh, he has something that he's more focused on than sacrifice, even though he set up a sacrificial system in the Old Testament. There's something that he's more interested in than even that. Genesis chapter 4. Uh, starting in verse 3, it says this, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the first fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought uh, the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. What an interesting truth and, and something for us to contemplate is that, that this idea of, of doing good and that in this process of being, living in obedience to the Lord, how sin can be crouching at the door, sin can be anticipating or looking for opportunities to be contrary to us and actually create in us a battle that we have to actually wrestle with and, and take charge of. You know, sometimes I think we think of sin as kind of like that oops moment. You guys ever trip, Right? I realized I'm walking through my backyard, and because we've done this new sprinkler system, we have all these new rocks. We've had this huge rock garden out in our backyard. And I'm walking through the space, tripping over it, tripping over small rocks, and, and like staggering around at times um, because they're new. Well, do you know when I was younger, that wasn't as big a problem for me? 30 years ago? I, I, I could run through the woods with logs in the way and, and all kinds of stuff, jumping over things and just... I mean, that was amazing. I'm walking on a flat piece of ground with a couple of rocks. Man, a living. What is that? 
you know, that's the kind of stuff where, where we're, we're tripping. It's one of those things that you kind of didn't see it coming and, and you stumble over those things. But a lot of our sin, uh, like what we see with Cain, it's something that's actually prowling at the door. It's something that God looks at Cain and he goes, you know better than this. This was a decision on your part. You chose not to do good here. And I think a lot of times, even as Judah and Israel did, they had the word of the Lord. They'd refused it, and they were looking right at the sin, choosing to walk into it. Another example of that, and it's one of the great examples of of this reality, it's First uh, Samuel 15. It's it's King Saul, and uh, Samuel responds to him, and and actually deals with this with a, a a sacrifice that was done improperly. It was not right, and and Saul Saul sinned against the Lord right here, and he actually it says in here that he rejected the Lord as well. And uh, it's First Samuel 15, starting in verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Now, if you read on in the story, there's more that happens there. We're not going to do that this morning, but you can see in that text God wants the obedience of the heart more than he wants the sacrifice. I'm not saying that the sacrifice was, was null and void. It was a prominent part of the worship of Israel. It was an important piece of their worship, an important piece of the structure that God had set up. But he's looking for the heart of obedience. And why did Saul break? Why did Saul violate that? Did you see what he said? I feared the people. I was afraid of what was going on around me. Which brings us to the beauty of this passage is that God is actually fulfilling his promise to Jeremiah to protect him from the people. Here's Jeremiah, the contrast of Judah and Israel. Jeremiah is faithfully serving the Lord. And again, we talked about this before. How many of you like a ministry where no one responds? Praise Jesus, right? Let me have that one. I want a church where no one responds to the Lord. And you're going to faithfully get up and preach at that church for your entire life. Woohoo! Right? That's not success to me in ministry. I wouldn't sign up for that. I, I would probably run from that. Jonah, Jonah's movements would look very, very, let's just go drown in the sea. You, you, I mean, Jeremiah wanted to, or uh, Jonah's like, just kill me, Lord. It'd be way better. Just kill me. Elisha says that. Ministry, this idea of ministry, this picture of ministry, uh, sometimes we have it in our own lives that it's got this beautiful uh, paradise kind of setting. And when I say ministry, let me qualify something. I don't mean being a pastor. This, I'm, I, I, have, I do a job. And, and, and I hope that doesn't sound too, like, this isn't just a job for me, but it's the one thing, this is my part of the body life. Ministry is what happens every day of our lives, every minute of your discipleship life is ministry. 
And sometimes when we come to ministry, we think that it's going to be something spectacular and glamorous and, and paradise. I'm going to come to Jesus and everything's going to be great. And then I'm going to go tell my neighbors about Jesus and they're going to like it as much as I do. How's that work? Did you guys know that you live next to difficult neighbors? What about your family members? Anybody have family members that don't think that Jesus is as important as you do? The difficulty of, of following the Lord and being in ministry is that it's not pleasant many, many times. And yet we have this contrast, this challenge that's in front of Judah and, and, and Jeremiah of obeying God. And they're taking different paths. And, and the cost is actually pretty high for both. But the outcome is much better for Jeremiah than Judah and Israel. We actually see in this text that, that God is fulfilling his promise to protect uh, Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 18. We're going to finish with just a couple verses in Jeremiah. Verse 18, it says this, The Lord made it known to me, and I knew. Then you showed me their deeds. I'm, I'm skipping a couple of verses in here because we're going to look at them next week, so don't, don't panic. We're, we're, not, we're not just skipping them all. But God actually shows up and tells Jeremiah that there's a plot to kill him. There's people that are, want, that are making a plan to kill him. Can, uh, any guesses on who it is? If you're right ahead, hold on. Any guesses on who's trying to kill him? Probably the king, right? You, you think, you'd think whoever's in charge of Israel, you'd think some of the religious leaders, you'd think some of the false prophets, some of those people, clearly they'd want to kill him. Right? You know who it was? It was his own family. Look in chapter 11, verse 21 and 23, uh, through 23. Actually, sorry, his family's in 12.6. Verses 21 through 23 of 11, though, says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, which is his hometown, remember this is hometown, who seek your life and say, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine, and none of them shall be left. For I will bring disaster upon the men of Anathoth, the year of their punishment. Jeremiah has a direct threat coming from his own hometown. Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or we will kill you. He has a pretty serious decision to make, didn't he? Am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust that he's going to protect me? Am I going to believe that in the promise that he's given me? Uh, Jeremiah 12.6, actually, this is where it says uh, that he actually lays out who it is that's doing this. Um, 12.6 says this, For even your brothers and the house of your fathers, even they have dealt treacherously with you, and they are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. When we think about this, this picture of obeying the Lord, we think about this paradise that we've been called into discipleship. We think about the, the, the context of the, the family that we're in here. And, and, and I really, I agree with Don. This is a family room. And, and we are much like a family, right? Yeah, we offend one another. We love one another. We have to offer forgiveness to one another. Sometimes we need to go and apologize. Other times we go and celebrate and encourage and lift up and support one another. I, again, I, couldn't, I could not have done 
the, the sprinkler system that got put in the ground at my house. I could not have done that on my own. I needed the help. I mean, it, it was a great picture of the family. And we have all kinds of different pictures of that family, everybody taking care of different parts. But with family comes conflict and difficulty. And Jeremiah is living out that truth. Some of the greatest painful experiences in ministry come from within your closest group, the people that should be the ones that are the safest to be honest with. And yet we're still called to obey. We're still called to be Christ-like. We're still called to love selflessly. We're still called to follow God's plan in marriage and ministry and life. Even if the world itself turns and says, you cannot do this, we're still called to be faithful. Even if our community turns and says, you're not allowed to do this anymore, we're still called to be obedient and faithful. Even if our own family turns and says, we will not hear of this from you anymore, we're still called to be faithful. Now, I'm not telling you, I want to be really careful here. I'm not telling you to go get your Bible and go beat your neighbors or your family over the head with it because Pastor Shane said to go, you know, you're going to hear this whether you like it or not. That's not the point. Jesus didn't do that to people, did he? He built relationships. He, he influenced by having uh, his, his love for them, the truth, the way that he took grace and truth and packaged them was done very, very well. And I don't do it that well. Let's just be honest. I stink at that. Some people I'm very gracious with. Some people I really like giving them truth. Okay, that's not in a good term, right? Sometimes we're very good with delivering truth if we don't like the people. But what God's called us to do is to love them like he does and obediently live in that reality of truth and obedience. The nation of Israel was meant to reflect the glory of a loving God to all the nations around them. And what did they do? They flipped around and followed all of the wretched nation, the worship of the, of the nations, the, the treacherous behavior of the, of the Gentiles all around them. They did not reflect the glory of God. They did not live in obedience to Him. And that discipline came. And then you have this beautiful picture of Jeremiah who, in contrast to that, lives in obedience and takes threats from his own family. Now, the picture that we're going to look at, the part that we're, going to, we're actually going to go back and look at next week, is where the cross actually integrates with this. Jesus, there, there's this beautiful integration into this moment in Jeremiah's life that actually has some reflections into the New Testament. And we're going to go look at that because there's a truth and a beauty that comes through the gospel that you and I have access to that the people of Israel and the nation of Judah through the sacrificial system, Paul himself says that this couldn't bring, it didn't bring life. It brought the reality of our sin. And there was a faith walk that they had to have that I believe you and I have a greater opportunity to succeed in because we have the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm trying to say that carefully so I'm not creating some kind of heretical thing that we have to spend months undoing. But the point is that you and I have the Holy Spirit as His children indwelling us. So we have the power of God inside of us, prompting us to live in obedience to the Word of God, helping us in the battle against our flesh and against the, the pressures that we might receive from outside sources, the world that we may be fearful of, or life, or whatever issues it is. And that comes through the gospel. It comes through Christ's work on the cross. 
and I think it's spectacular, and we're going to look at this next week, is how that, that picture, that image, is actually foreshadowed in the life of Jeremiah, and it's an amazing thing. And we're going to look at that next week. So I don't want you to be too discouraged, but I do really want you to go home and wrestle as I've had to wrestle all week this week. Am I being stubborn? Am I refusing the word of God? Or am I reflecting like Jeremiah did, who God is, the glory of God, and living in obedience regardless of my circumstances? That, I think, is a challenge for us as believers today. What does it mean for me to be obedient to the word of God today? In light of our culture, in light of our community, in light of our home, in light of our church family. What does it look like for me to live obediently to the Word of God? And where would God call me to change? Where would He say, you know, Shane, you're doing okay right here. Let's talk about this spot over here. You haven't been, you haven't been paying attention to this part of your life. Where would God call us out in that area. Part of what I love about Jeremiah, and, and we'll see it as we go forward, is that he constantly, uh, I know constantly might be too strong a word, but I've seen him do it several times already, where he's asking God to search his heart. You judge me and make sure I'm on the right path because he doesn't trust his own heart. I think we should go to before the Lord recognizing how God treated an unfaithful nation of Israel and Judah and how he's caring for a faithful servant who's having his life threatened. And he's fulfilling that promise of protection. Even when what should have been paradise has become absolute torment and just a horrible existence for the nation of Israel and for Jeremiah, a faithful servant of the Lord. Father, thanks for this time. Thank you for your grace. I thank you for the Holy Spirit your spirit that it dwells us. Thank you, God, for the gospel and how it brings life and hope even to the midst, in the midst of very difficult and challenging truths about who you are and about who we are in relation to you. I pray this week as we consider what it means to live obedient lives in our church, in our communities, in our, in our culture, in this world. Father, regardless of threat, regardless of concerns or what the people's thinking around us, Lord, that you would drive home the truth of your word and that we would not be like the people of Hebrews who are still so immature in our faith that we are only on milk, unable to discern good from evil, therefore easily led astray, easily led into sin, easily distracted from truth. Help us to know what it means to follow you, help us to grow in our understanding of who you are, Lord. And I pray, as we heard in James this morning, Lord, you will faithfully bring us opportunities to bring maturity and help us to see those as opportunities for growth and to worship you as a faithful father in the midst of them. In your name, amen. Please stand with us.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. See you all next week.